Welcome to Wilderness Time. I'm Stephanie Spellers, and along with my co-host Dwight Shiley, we're glad to have you. In this digital series, we explore the challenge of following Jesus and leading His church in a season of disruption, displacement, and possibility. As we begin today, let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Holy God, for leading us in this season of wondering and wandering. Thank you for your patience with us and for inviting us to discover your face, your voice in the presence of new neighbors and in places where we least expected. Keep us open, O oh God, and continue to bless us with your vibrant presence and, um, and your teaching ways. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. 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 Yeah, I'm a, so I'm a good sh- southerner, so I always want an amen. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so each session, we wrestle with some major adaptive challenge that churches are facing in this moment. Today's topic is the gospel in the neighborhood. Our challenge is we don't know how to share and receive the gospel with neighbors who have little to do with church. How might we speak authentically of faith and listen for God's voice among these people and in these places? Our guests helping to navigate this terrain are Nancy Frausto and Stephanie Williams O'Brien. Nancy's a priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, California, and a consultant on the Episcopal Church's evangelism team. She's especially experienced in ministry with the Latinx community and young transgender communities. Stephanie is co-pastor of Mill City Church in Minneapolis, a church that's utterly embedded in their physical and digital neighborhood. She also teaches preaching at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul. So welcome, Nancy and Stephanie. Now, Nancy, you and Stephanie chose a reading from Acts 8 to ground our session today. I wonder if you can go ahead and read that for us. Oh, okay, I was wondering if it was going to be on the screen. Okay, there it is. A reading from Acts. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of the Candidate's Queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water. 
And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So now with that text as our frame, let's dig into some conversation. I also want to remind everyone who's with us that you're welcome to post your questions in the chat box. In about 15 minutes, we're going to come over to that and bring your questions into the bigger conversation. So whatever you feel sparked from the spirit as we're all conversing, put it in that chat box. You're with us. So now turning to Nancy and Stephanie, here's a thought, especially listening to this this passage, it's one of my favorite passages. It's kind of one of the, the guides for me for evangelism. Um, I feel like even under normal conditions, it's really hard to get church people to go out beyond their walls and to engage with their neighbors who don't ordinarily have anything to do with church. Like, that's hard. Let's just name that. <laughs> now, multiply, um, or actually, no, before we even multiply COVID by that, um, why is it so hard for us to, to share the gospel, to connect with those neighbors outside of church? And what do you think we might learn from Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? And again, this is not just during COVID. This is any time. <laughs> so if I may, something that really popped into my mind as you were asking that, Stephanie, was Right before we went into shutdown mode, I, along with Jerusalem, who is the, the missioner for evangelism, had a training up north in California. And when we talked about why it was so hard, someone said to us, and this is, this is going to stay with me. So like, I grew up in a generation where we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics. It's not polite. So I think that's a big problem that we have with some of our generations that we've made certain topics taboo. And it's like, we don't want to force our opinion on others. We just do not want to get into unpleasant conversations, but it has made us really afraid to talk about God and talk about Jesus. So there needs to be this switch in the conversation where we can totally talk about Jesus and talk about God without using the Bible as a weapon to say, convert, convert, this is the right way. I think that's why so many people have a problem with evangelism because they, they connected to this very violent way of believe what I believe because I'm right and you're wrong. So we need to switch that conversation and say, look, evangelism is all about telling you how I feel God being present in my life. And then listening to your story, you can tell I work with the, with uh, Stephanie and the evangelism team because I'm all and now I'm all about evangelism because I can buy into this this idea of like we're sharing people's stories and people's stories are sacred. Yeah, that's awesome. I totally agree. I love this story too. I just feel that it's so rich with meaning around this. I mean, the fact that that God was leading Philip 
to a place without a plan. He didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, get up and get on that road. And that was it. And so I think there's a principle there. If we're headed towards what we think the Lord, the spirit might be leading us towards, if we try to follow the spirit, then we're going to find people along the way that God has prepared for us to speak with. And that's so clear here, isn't it? That God had gone before him. God's spirit had gone before. God's spirit's coming behind. God's spirit is with him. The fact that Philip disappears, that is something. Uh, Apparently, it's not about Philip. Apparently, it's about this man and this, this, this man who's in a very unique position in so many ways in his culture. It's actually about that guy and what, what God's doing in his life and how Philip just needs to get out of the way then at the end because God's coming after him. God's before and with him and coming after him. I just love it. I think it's amazing. And also he stepped into what God was already doing in the eunuch's life because he was already looking at the scripture and trying to understand. And so instead of saying, hey, you're wrong, I'm right, he said, what are you interested in? And the spirit opened up a conversation. I bet that Philip had to be pretty bold to have that whole conversation, much less to decide to to get out of that chariot and to baptize that man in that space. But I just find it to be so rich. This story, we could talk about this for a whole hour, I think. (laughs) So I'm with you, Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah. I just noticed in the chat box, Karen Schoenberg um, was commenting, it will never work if we make it about us. Can we just like name that right there? It's like the moment it's all about me, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm terrified. I'm watching to see how my lipstick is. Of course not, you know, (laughs) but, um, but if it's about the other person and what God is doing in their life, that's a totally different posture. That's a completely different conversation and probably a completely different outcome. Well, and I, and I'll, I'll also add that Stephanie, you said, you said earlier, you mentioned that the eunuch was already reading scripture and was wondering Right now, we are living in a time when there's so many people looking for meaning. There's so many people trying to be like, why is this happening? What's going on? They're trying to connect. If any of you are doing online or Facebook Live, you can see your numbers are way higher at times than they have ever been in the physical building. Why? Because the community, people want to understand more, want to connect with something spiritual because nothing is making sense in their lives. So this is why it's so important for us to be present online, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even when we don't think we have the right look or the right voice, or maybe we don't, we don't know what to say, but we need to be present where the community is. And this is about connecting with our neighborhoods, our physical neighbors, but also online. That, that is where the community is assembling. So we, as people of faith, need to be there. Now, I did notice someone asked, um, I'm not confident in my, that people say they're not confident in their understanding of the Bible, so they're afraid to speak up. So yes, it's true. And this is where, as, as leaders, we need to make sure that we are doing formation in our communities, that we are talking to people like, how can we share our story of God? How is God being present in my life right now, in my pain, in my loneliness? Let us talk about that. And that way people will become a little bit more comfortable to to talk along the big G word or the big J word, God and Jesus. And, And not, again, I repeat, not do it so they can make other people come to the church because we're not even in the building anymore. But let us just talk about how God is working in this really messed up time where we see the world falling apart. God is still part of that. So how can we talk about it and rejoice in the goodness and bring that into the conversations with the people, with the people that we meet? 
Y'all better preach. Go ahead, Dwight. Bring some, bring some wisdom. Yeah, so this is great. So here's what I'm curious about. Both of your churches have been experimenting in connecting with neighbors um, in this prior to this moment, but also especially now in this moment. I wonder if you could share some stories, practices, learnings, experiments. Um, what does that look like in your context? You can start, Nancy, if you want. Okay. Well, um, you know, we are, like Dwight said, very embedded in our neighborhood. Our church is very focused on the specific geographical neighborhood that we're in. However, I will say that this time in these last three months, I realized how many of our folks really do actually live geographically distant from this local community that we're focused on. We're doing a great job, I think, as a great group, as a big group saying, hey, we're here for this part of the city. We're in an urban center. But we do have folks living all over the place now. And a very simple thing was to connect those people with each other geographically. And they started to realize, wait a second, you live that close to me? I run by your house. And so they're making connections as neighbors that are a part of our faith community. And so as folks are taking, I would say, a very brave step to fill out that digital connection card, we're connecting them. The first connection we make is with the neighborhood, the digital neighborhood leader in that geographical neighborhood. And we say, you live within miles of this person, or you live within sometimes blocks of this person. And they've got a whole group of people that know each other. And so I had never connected. Can you believe that? I've never connected people geographically this whole time, 12 years of a church. And I never told people, you know, helped them figure out who lived near each other, except for organically. And so in an organized way, I told them how to do that. And now organically, they're connecting relationally because of that. And that sense of not being alone in sharing the good news, or like I, I like to say to them, being good news people, you can be a good news person a lot easier in a community than you can be on your own. And to say, look, we're sharing our resources. Can we share with you? Hey, we know each other. How about, you? are you lonely? You could come out and connect with us. Oh, the boldness factor. Does the courage and the boldness not go way higher when you're not by yourself? And so just giving them those connections has been huge in a, in a, in a way that took me just a few minutes, honestly, to give, to give that data away so they knew where people were. So that's been huge. Um, one other thing that's, it's kind of fun but also just helps people break through the, I, I think of it as there being like a, a wall or a barrier to just break through this, this topic of evangelism. Sometimes that word alone is just hard for people because of their background. And I understand that I actually grew up as a Billy Graham kid. Like my parents were all over the world with Billy Graham. So if people have to deconstruct and reconstruct that word, I understand it's a thing, but being a person who says the good news of Jesus is that I've been set free, that, that Jesus cares about the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, that I care about those things. And I represent, I mean, those are, that is good news. That is actually really good news. But where is the space to share that if you haven't built the relationship with your neighbors? So I think the word neighbor can mean, you know, a lot of different things as Jesus makes an example in this, in the different scriptures, especially the good Samaritan and other things. But let's start with our geographical neighbors. You know, what's going to help you to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? Knowing their names, that's a great start. And then knowing their names might mean you can start to build a relationship of trust and trust earns the right to hear their story. And then hearing their stories can really take you deeper. So one fun way we've created a little neighborhood bingo. And in fact, you can, I, I put it online for my church. You guys can head to it. It's millcitychurch.com slash bingo, millcitychurch.com slash bingo. Maybe Phoebe or somebody can put it in there. Little bingo board. So simple. Learn two more people's names. Um, get, Invite yourself, or I said, go and ask for something. 
You don't have to go into someone's house. It's COVID time. Everything is socially distant, but maybe you could get a cup of sugar from them instead of being the person to always help them. It's just a few things. And I told my folks, if you complete your bingo by Labor Day, I'll get you an ice cream cone. So, I mean, it's so small, but it's just a way of saying that is every person who does that's going to get two more names. And if that is the way, as we just saw in the story, that the spirit opens up conversation to go deeper, it's just that that first step and an, and an open heart and an open mind. So I serve um, in the city of Long Beach and I believe Long Beach is like the second biggest city in the nation with uh, LGBTQ plus community. So uh, we have a very diverse congregation, but specifically in our Latino congregation, we have a growing number of transgender women. And one of the things that was really important um, for me before COVID was to make sure that they felt as welcome and as loved as anybody else because they had been turned away from every other church. And this has been a gift now in during this COVID time because it is mainly my transgender women of color in my community who are now trying to make connections with other transgender folks in Long Beach and in the city of LA to let them know, hey, you want to hear the gospel and you want to hear preaching about how we are loved and how we are perfect and how God is just with us because we are fabulous. Check this out. And they're spreading, they're, they're the ones spreading the good news because they have found a place where they have been welcomed. Now, another way that we have um, started to reach out to non-going church people that may actually never, ever, ever step into St. Luke's is that a couple of us recognize the need that many of our elders were in need of of groceries. You know, what do you do? Well, some of the healthiest, youngest individuals, we are now making weekly runs of groceries and we drop them off and we drop them off with notes from other people of the community. Someone has a a lemon tree. They are bringing bags of lemons from their lemon tree to the church so they can get split up. Another one bakes sourdough bread. Another one has this garden. And everybody's coming together to provide for some of our parishioners, but also for the other people that are living in the same apartment buildings. This has opened up this amazing, amazing prayer um, chain that happens now when we go deliver groceries to an apartment building people from the apartment building are at their windows waiting for the priest or for the lay pastor to go by and bless and pray with them. And this has, this can only happen because one, we paid attention to what the need was in the community. And second, we made an effort to be present in the community. Um, And we are not asking anyone to come to St. Luke's after this is over. We're, We're not even telling them like, join us online. We say, here's who we are. If you ever want to, you know, if you're on Facebook, by all means, check us out. But it's not about that. It's about being present with the community. And just to tag on the whole Facebook thing, I am amazed to see how many of our people are now sharing the weekly services on their own pages. And they're proud to say, this is where I'm from. Um, In the Latino community, we're, we're a lot more comfortable talking about faith. I've noticed that. So we're all about testimonies and how God has changed our changed our lives. Um, and that has been a gift because that has allowed a lot of this to happen. But but we also need to we we needed to start talking to people about, well, 
it's fine to talk about faith, but when they ask you what the Episcopal Church is, let me give you some information so you know what the Episcopal Church is. <laughs> so we had to do a little formation on who, what the Episcopal Church was and how we are not Catholic light. I love that so much. And I just want to highlight how important the white majority churches learning from the Latino community, learning from the black church about how to testify and tell the story of God. We have so much to learn. And that is why the the space between us being so wide is just hurting everyone. Mm-hmm. Such a good point, Nancy. Amen. So kind of going deeper with what you all were just saying, um, I wonder as, as we as we experience these new relationships, as we are connecting with new people, sometimes because we're seeing double the number of people showing up online for worship, sometimes because you're out there on the street and bringing groceries to somebody's apartment building and before you know it, you're praying with neighbors. Um, There are a lot of ways that we are connecting or have the opportunity right now to connect with people we didn't know before. How do you translate faith? for those moments, for those moments when you're connecting with people. And in a way, Nancy, you were just saying, it's like, yeah, like you can't just fall into whatever your, whatever your church lingo is at that time. Um, like you need to, like you need to have a testimony, but you also need to know how to listen. Um, but especially just being able to translate. Um, so I wonder how do you translate faith for a moment like this? So for us at St. Luke's, it has been really important to, the word faith is, is good and mighty, but we, we, we instead use hope, right? Mm-hmm. So um, esperanza, you, you, you have this hope that there's something better just around the corner. So you have to make it on this stretch. Uh, you, have, you have to just run a little bit more and make it around the corner because it's, it's right there. So we, I've been using that language a lot for a lot of the people that are, are really new of like, you know, there's a hope that there's something better and we need to get there together because it can, it is only a good place if we are all there together. Um, and, and that has opened up a lot of conversation, conversations with non-church goers of, so why do you believe so much in this place? And that for me and for some of the people in my community has opened the door to talk about how we know Jesus, how we know God and how God has worked in our lives. And um, for some, it's a lot more comfortable to talk about God than it is to talk about Jesus. And, and then there's others who connect more with Jesus because they understand Jesus as their partner in suffering, that Jesus knew how to suffer. So Jesus understands suffering. Uh, therefore, they can feel much more, much more comfortable walking with Jesus. Another thing that we had to be really intentional, and, and every Sunday we do this, it's with so many people now online coming in to check out our worship, we need to translate our liturgy. If we try to do liturgy online the way that we do in our buildings, it's going to look like a cult. There, I said it. Our liturgy can be very culty if you don't know it. So we need to be able to not be held hostage by some of our beautiful tradition. And it is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I love liturgy, but it doesn't translate well online. So finding different ways, different ways to do it. Um, 
using some more contemporary music. I know we love our organs. Please do not throw rocks at me. I, I know we love our organs. But using some music that can touch people's hearts, it's so important. Um, and using different platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Don't judge me, but I've become recently obsessed with TikTok. And I am at Miss at some of the priests I see on TikTok spreading the good news and being completely awesome and being followed by a, a new generation of potential believers. So we need to go to places where it might be uncomfortable, but people's God are there. So we, and God's people are there. So we need to be there. I totally, I love that. I mean, just one example of, I think what Nancy's saying is if you have a call to worship, say we are going to have a call to worship. What that means is we're creating space for us to get centered and to focus on who God might be in our life. Like it's just a sentence, but it's explaining why. And I think it really helps people go from an outsider to an insider. And then a bunch of people in our community might find out why we were doing that all along. And that will be a bonus. <laughs> but think about that for every part of the liturgy. And actually, I think that will make it less boring because people will be going, oh, interesting. Oh, is that why we do that? Oh, you know, I think that could be actually really fascinating for some folks. And this is a, this is a time right now. I'm a millennial. I'm 37. And I think my generation and the generation coming after us, who's on TikTok, I'm on there as well, Nancy. I think they really are, are, are really open to ritual. I think they actually find ritual to be really fascinating. And I think they find it very grounding in the middle of a time that's very chaotic. And so let's own it. Let's, if that's our freak flag, like, let's just make sure it doesn't look like a cult. Let's just be ourselves, but explain ourselves, explain ourselves and how it's, and how being a part of it does not mean anything to do with, you know, I think we can do that. I think the final thing that I would say is just, if we want people to understand our language, how are we trying to understand theirs? Go what ahead. does it look like to go into their space? And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm terrible. I've tried to learn other languages um, as far as ethnically. It's just, it's so hard for us who did not grow up with that. Our brains, my brain does not have the same connections that Nancy's has. She has some extra connections because she's bilingual, you know? And so I, but I mean, can we all be bilingual when it comes to culture? And so what are the cultures around you Get really practical. So for instance, one that's very close to me, I'm across the street from a brewery right now. In Minnesota, where I am, brewery culture is a thing. And it needs some help, just like any other culture on different areas, for instance, on diversity. And so I've learned their language and I've stepped into their understanding of what some of this stuff is. It's totally new to me. Um, I mean, I like to drink a beer, but that's it. I don't understand it otherwise. And now they've taught me, I've learned, I understand. And so now when they're saying we're seeing some major blind spots as breweries in Minneapolis for where we have not done diversity and inclusion, there's a dialogue there because they know I know their language. So let me teach them some of mine and my concept of how that's God's heart for their business. And I can share that, but I got to learn their language first. The arts community is huge here in Minneapolis. There's a group from my church that has figured out how can we learn about this community and their culture and their understanding, which has a lot of different ethnic cultures, but it's this, this special culture of the art scene, right? They're learning their language. They're figuring out how to get to where those people are at. And then they're building that trust and that relationship. Because if you're willing to learn someone else's language, that's another key to saying, I want to be somebody that's trustworthy to you. And so they learned that language. For instance, just this last month, a huge art crawl got canceled because of COVID. And guess who they called? This group of people trying to figure out how to understand the art scene in my, in my community. They call themselves Craft, the Arts and Craft. 
the craft missional community. And they said, what are we going to do? And the craft missional community mobilized videographers around the whole Twin Cities to do virtual tours of people's actual studios. Because what is their heart language? Their heart language is, does people see my creation? Do they see my creativity and does it matter? That's their heart language. And to say to them, like, we think there's a creator who created you to be creative is their language. That's very different than saying, we think that, you know, I mean, fill in the blank of what we might say if we didn't first learn their language. So we've got about five minutes before we pivot into breakout groups. And I want to just pick up a thread of conversation in the chat, um, which is really around how do you help people, ordinary members of the church, do this work, both the work of translation, in particular, the work of, of listening in neighborhood spaces and communities? What does that look like? So before the whole pandemic thing hit, one of the things at St. Luke's that we were trying to do once a month was walk around the neighborhood, right? Let's walk around the neighborhood. Let's know who's there. Let's let's really see if we can meet new people and get just get to know them. Um, and the, there was also uh, we also had various different uh, different workshops on how do we share our story, how do we listen to others. So, you know, I'm blessed enough to have been able to work with the evangelism team. So, so we had a lot of those resources that you can find if you go to the evangelism webpage. Um, so I just we, put it in the chat box. <laughs> we here. Uh, so neighbor, neighborhood uh, prayer walks were really important. How do you translate that now in the digital wor- world? So one of the things that I've asked people in the community to do, especially our 1230 community, is... Who is around you? Like literally, who lives next door? What are their names? And what can we be praying for, for? What can we do to pray for them? What businesses are around you that have been affected by some of the looting that happened in, um, in Long Beach? How can we be praying for them? How can we connect with the artists who are doing the beautiful murals now on the closed businesses? So even though we're not walking around the neighborhood, we're still going around the neighborhood and trying to connect with the different pe- different people that are being affected by everyday stuff. Um, you know, we couldn't do our, 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 our pride um, parade, but we said, how can we connect with the different people that host this parade and pray for them and grieve with them because they have been dedicating their lives to making sure that these parades happen because they're meaningful for them. So that's how we've been doing, what we've been doing um, in our context, that we've kind of translated the neighborhood prayer walk into a digital, let's get to know who's around us type of thing. I think a big part of what you're describing there, Nancy, is something that um, Joy Cares actually just mentioned in the chat box. And that was like, um, to do what you just described, we'll have to stop being so darn productive, <laughs> right? That, that to say a part of my ministry is going to be walking around. A part of my ministry is going to be listening with people um, and not producing, producing. That's such a culture shift. Um, but, it's, but I think it's a, it's, it's a part of what, like it would be liberating for church leaders. And I think it would be revelatory for our communities to see us in that way. Stephanie, any other just kind of like you've already offered the bingo and digital neighbor, the digital card connection. You know, I think I think that I agree with the storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think storytelling is the currency of evangelism. 
it's just what it is. If you want to, it's the metric, you know, and it's so hard, right? Because we want to count things that are easier to count than a good story, but teaching people to tell their own story well, and to listen to other people's stories. I love what Nancy's saying. And I think we have a great chance to model that when we are with our folks. And so considering how our sermons are, um, moments that we might share in other parts of the liturgy where there might be, can we import input stories where we might've been doing something else? Because, you know, it's really storytelling is something you learn by watching and experiencing and then practicing. And so uh, let's not expect anyone to do something like that if we aren't able to do it and if we don't show it to them. And the number one thing that I've heard feedback from my community on what's helped them with evangelism or doing life in the neighborhood is hearing the stories and believing that I'm doing it too. I'm not just asking them to do it. That's been huge. And then they said, sometimes you tell stories about how you didn't do it super well. And I like that too. <laughs> so I think that storytelling's huge. So I want to just lift up a couple of things I've heard um, from you, Stephanie, just now. One is you, you as a leader are a learner in this work. You're modeling it. and But you're also willing to take risks and not to get it right the first time. Um, but also, I think the the bingo example is so wonderful because what I hear in that is breaking it down to really, really simple, actionable steps for people, which is often, I think, where um, we make it as leaders, we make it so much harder for people to actually do this stuff. If we can make it easy for people to do hard things, you know, in the sense of breaking it down into steps, that goes a long way. So, um, so that's that's wonderful. Um, so at this point, we're going to. A transition to some breakout conversation. So um, in these last few minutes of discussion, um, Nancy and Stephanie, we invite each of you to speak to um, one of the things that the participants have been, you know, sharing in the chat, and it's been a thread of this, which is say a little bit more about um, the life of a leader relative to both um, being free to do this work of listening and um, being present in the neighborhood, modeling that, and also um, what what else can be taken off one's plate as a leader to free up yourself and also to free up your community to take this journey? I think um, I just want to encourage everyone, hopefully you get a little bit of space this weekend, given that there's a, a holiday, but maybe just to sit back and do some reflecting on how those things got on your list of what you think you're supposed to be doing. Some of you might come up with the answer, oh, I've got a, you know, I've got a number of people who are expecting this, or I have a, a, a leader, a mentor of mine that, but some of us, I think, might discover we've put a lot of things on that list ourselves and are expecting a lot from ourselves. I think it would be a great time of reflection to notice what might be able to, and maybe we can use the, the principle and scripture of being pruned back because the promise of pruning is growth and fruitfulness. And I think this is one of the areas where that could be true for us. So um, confession time, I was so obsessed uh, at providing the most magnificent Sunday Zoom Facebook Live liturgy that I stopped connecting with people. And, and I had to have a really hard conversation with myself that I was not called to be a producer. I was not called to direct anything. I was called to be with God's people. Um, and I, I struggle with this every week because I want to produce something really good on Sunday. Um, and we need to see where we're putting a pressure on ourselves that's keeping us from doing God's work. 
from connecting. Um, as you guys were coming in, someone mentioned that one of your one of the groups was talking about how do you connect with people that don't have the smartphones, that don't have the computers. That has been a big thing in my community. I have a lot of people who they're lucky if they have a flip phone. So part, part of the thing is taking away that pressure of producing and being the best online priest ever, taking that pressure, pressure off and realizing God's people need you here right now to connect with them in whatever way possible. You need to sit down and write them a letter if that's what you need to do. Um, but we need to make sure that we take a step back from these pressures and find partners that we can do the work with. If you work with another priest, that's great. If you're part of a team, you are so lucky and you are so blessed. If you are the only priest in your congregation, you need to find other priests who are struggling in your diocese, in your deanery, and be vulnerable with them and say, how can we support one another? to make sure that we are providing good liturgy on Sunday, but that we are really connecting with people and we are doing formation in this time and we're doing pastoral care. Um, partnering is the best way we do anything. I mean, Jesus did not send individuals by themselves. He sent them in pairs. So find your pair. I think another, another word that I would just offer is actually, I just want to make sure that everyone pays attention to a place in the chat box where Lou, and I don't know if it's Divis or Davis, um, said that a lot of people are afraid to say the wrong thing. And, um, and what that makes me think of is that just as there's a lot of pressure on us to produce and to produce, which stops us from connecting, there's also a pressure for perfection. And that sometimes leaders of churches, clergy and lay, Leaders of churches don't make room for everybody else to just try things out because we feel like it's got to be so perfect. Um, so I love what Lou suggested here. You know, I often ask a God question at the end of church and invite people to talk to each other about God in their lives. Um, you know, and so so maybe while you're gathering online, feel free to um, you know to pause in the midst of worship or in the midst of coffee hour or whatever is going on. And invite people to go into these breakout groups like you just did. Um, go into breakout groups and talk to each other. No clergy person in the room, no professional necessary. Talk to each other about where they're seeing God. And that way, when they go, when everybody is out in the world and we're connecting in whatever ways, we won't feel so strange talking about God um, because we've, we've done it with each other and we know it doesn't have to be perfect. We're not called to perfection. We're only called to faithfulness. Well, thank you, Nancy and Stephanie, for joining us for this uh, episode of Wilderness Time. And thanks to all of you who are participating. Thanks for joining our conversation. If you'd like to engage more, check out video and study options and episode descriptions at wildernesstime.org. We'll be back next week for more of Wilderness Time. God bless you on the journey.